imagine you're about ready to retire from your job of the last 40 years. Your kids are grown. The house is quiet. You're looking forward to the years ahead. But right now, you're looking back. You're not focusing on the next mountain. At this moment, you're remembering and you're reflecting. And you're preparing a speech for your retirement banquet. What do you say? For just a few moments, the people might really listen to the wisdom you've gained over the last decades. What do you tell them? That's the kind of situation King Solomon finds himself in. Now in his later years, he presses the pause button in an effort to recap his life and share some guidance and wisdom to those that will come after him. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. He says, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. Solomon says, I'm reflecting on all this that I've learned. And here's what I've learned. This wise man says, here's how you should live your life. Learn a lesson on my dime. And begins to give some pivotal lessons from his life. You can learn a lot from a person when they come to the end of their life. And they reflect on it. For instance, Andrew Jackson's final words were, Oh, do not cry. Be good children and we will all meet in heaven. The great artist Leonardo da Vinci spoke these final words. I have offended God and mankind because, of, because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Multimillionaire Jay Gold's final words were, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Ouch. General John Siddick, the Union commander in the Civil War, was lined up ready for battle. His troops were telling him, we're too close to the enemy, General Sedwick. In his final words, where they couldn't hit an elephant from that distance. I've always feared that my final words were, would be like, hey, buddy, watch this. You know, what will your final words be? Fortunately, after a lifetime of some bizarre decisions, incredible decisions, Solomon chooses the words that he would give much more carefully. In his search for happiness at the end, he reflects on the seasons of his life and he gives some last words that contain four important lessons for you and I. Here's the first one. This is your one and only life. Enjoy it. Say, this is my one and only life. This is my one and only life. This is it. No matter how long or short your life will be, you have to enjoy it. Regardless of your circumstances, you will only have joy if you remember that God is the source of true happiness. He's where joy is found. Ecclesiastes 9, 7, and 8, he goes on. Go, 
Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For now, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. What's that about? Well, their comforts back then were a whole lot different than ours. They were glad they had white garments because of the heat. They had oil because the hot climate would dry their skin. Verse 9, he goes on. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. There's a sense in which he says life is what? Meaningless. Compared to the next one, this life is meaningless. We only find true happiness in our relationship with God and then our eternal life with God. The Bible teaches in 1 Peter 2, we read that Christians, we as believers, are aliens in this world. We're just passing through this world. But while we're here, we've got to make the most of it. And I believe you and I as believers should be the most joyful people on this earth. No matter how miserable life may be, we should have a joy inside of us for the sake of Jesus Christ that no one else has. Why? Because your past has been forgiven and your future has been settled. No matter what happens in your life, your past has been forgiven and your future is secure. And for that reason only, we should have more fun and more joy than anyone else. However, I see a lot of Christians that are more like frustrated sourpusses than joyful, right? Miserable in life. I love the t-shirt I saw years ago that said, if you have the joy of Jesus in your heart, please notify your face, right? Smile for me, all right? If you have the joy of Jesus in your heart, notify your face, Joy is something that comes from within. It's not based on outward circumstances. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it miserably. Right? No. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, to the max. Second lesson, life is short. Give it your all. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. And the passage builds to that. Verse 7 talks about contentment. Verse 8 talks about comfort. Verse 9 talks about companionship. All that going into whatever you're doing, dive into it. Verse 10, do it with all your might. Give it everything you got. In a survey asked of a group of 95-year-olds and older, they were asked the question, if you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently with your life? They gave four different responses. The first response of these 95-year-olds was, what was the question? <laughs> right? The next three responses, if I had it to do all over again, First, I would reflect more. I'd slow down. 
I'd count life's blessings. I'd smell the roses and enjoy life. Second, I'd risk more. I realize that life is an adventure and you can't pick the fruit if you're not out on the limb. And then thirdly, they said, would do something with my life that would live on long after we're gone. I would do something that would make an eternal impact in this world. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait till I'm 95 to make that happen. And I am increasingly becoming aware of how short life is. And I want to make a difference with the one and only life God's given me right now. Right now. Commentators refer to this passage that we're unpacking today as the, as the carpe diem passage, which means what? Seize the day. Be passionate at what's at hand. Let your light shine wherever you are and, what, and for whatever you're doing for the sake of Jesus Christ. Pastor Dick Alexander tells a story of one day he was in the hospital visiting a woman whose husband was dying. In fact, he was in the intensive care unit. He said, I went in and visited with him. Then I went into the waiting room. And a few minutes later, the doctor came out and gave the news that his wife and I didn't want to hear. Her husband had passed. We waited a little while, and they came and got us and take, took us into the room where his dead body laid. There was a nurse in the room who was washing his face, washing this man's face, preparing him for the untaker, undertakers to come and take the body. As she washed his face, she was doing it as if he were her own father. The chaplain came, ushered us into another room, and the nurse went with us. His words were comforting and helpful. And then he prayed. And when he finished praying, he said, I looked up to see the nurse sitting in the corner with tears streaming down her face. I walked down the stairs with this new widow and walked her to her car. Then I went back up to the intensive care and tried to find this nurse. When I found her, I said, ma'am, I just want to thank you. I don't know how you do this. You see people die almost every day. And I don't know how you can have this kind of compassion in heart day after day after day. She simply replied, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And she went on about her work. Life is short. We've got one shot to make a difference for Jesus Christ. What if tomorrow, wherever it is that you work, you gave it your best shot to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, realizing that life is short. You've got to give it your all. Whether it's in this church, whether it's volunteering in the community, whether it's helping and serving your family, everything we do, we are in a partnership with the Lord Almighty, and we're to make a difference. Solomon's words, Ecclesiastes 3.13, that everyone may find satisfaction in all his toil, 
This is a gift of God. In 1972, in the Olympics, if you can remember back then, most Americans were convinced that Kathy Rigsby would win a gold medal in gymnastics. Well, she competed. She didn't win a gold medal. In fact, she didn't win any medal at all. Afterwards, she was dejected up in the bleachers, and she began to cry. She told her parents, I'm sorry, I did the best I could. Her dad said, I know that, your mother knows that, and God knows that. Then her father said 10 words that Kathy has never forgotten. She said, he said, doing your best is more important than being the best. Doing your best is more important than being the best. And he's right. That's why Solomon said, whatever you do, do it with all your might. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your what? All your heart, as if working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Psalmist, life's life short. Give it all you got. When you get to the end of your life, you don't want to have any what ifs. What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? In fact, Matthew West, I love uh, his songs. Last year, he came out with a song called What If. It says, what if today's the only day I've got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. No regrets. In the end, I want to know I got no what ifs. I'm running till the road runs out. I'm lighting it up right here, right now. No regrets in the end. I want to know I've got no what ifs. Watch this. I've heard them say before to live just like you're dying, yeah. Wish I could say this how I am, but I've been lying, yeah. Lying in my bed at night, one too many times I'm thinking, what if, what if? My biggest fear is waking up to find what matters. Is miles away from what I spent my life chasing after. Is my story gonna have the same two words in every chapter? What if, what if? But last I checked this heart inside my chest, it's still beating. Well, I guess it's not too late. What if today's the only day I got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. Oh, 
Life is short. None of us know how long we've got. Do this for me. You can't feel it there. (laughs) You're still breathing. Trust me, I can see you breathing. Hold here. How many of you have a pulse? All right. Our heart's still beating. Our heart's still beating. That means we still got a shot to live with no what ifs and no regrets. Then he says this, Solomon, a third lesson. The race is long. Stick with it. The race is long. Stick with it. You've heard me say it before. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long, long race, and we are in it for the long haul. I love one of Eugene Patterson's books. It's titled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Meaning when we accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, we committed to the end. Ecclesiastes 9.11, he reminds us, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not too swift or the battle too strong, nor does food come to the wise or the wealth, or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. What does he mean by that? There are two factors that can upset our human calculations. He looks at life and he concludes that time and chance often determine who prospers and who doesn't. It's not necessarily those who are more gifted, those who are more able that reap the benefits of life. It's not necessarily the fastest person who wins the foot race, the most seasoned and powerful warriors that win the battle, or the most mentally competent who have the best parts in life. It's not always the case. Time is a factor. We don't know how much time we have. That's why we have to seize the day as it is. Chance is a factor. There are unexpected events that happen in life. Regardless of the best planning, the best efforts, things happen. Many call it the perfect storm or a fluke. In sports, it happens during March Madness when the number three seeded team beats the number four, or number three seeded team gets beat by a number 14 seeded team. It happens when a grocery stock boy named Kurt Warner five years later becomes a Super Bowl MVP. Who'd have figured? At times, we'll be on the receiving end of unexpected events, good things, but at other times, we'll be on the side of experiencing pain, a disturbing diagnosis, a heartache from a pink slip, the loss of a loved one, You'll have mountaintops along the way, but you'll also have valleys. Yesterday, I had the misfortune of, or Friday, I had the misfortune, Brenda and I did, of standing in the middle of a cemetery, watching a baby be born that never, be buried, that never had a shot at life. We have mountaintops, we have valleys. Part of the good thing that was pointed about that baby is he went straight to be with Jesus. 
he went straight to be with Jesus. Time and chance play out for everyone. That's why we've got to seize every single day. We often think that seizing the day means some big act of heroism, being burdened at the stake for Christ, standing in the middle of a city, speaking for the name of Jesus. It might happen that way. But God is counting on you and me 24-7 every single day to live this life for his glory and to share our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. That's why we're here, to glorify God. And I like to add and take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. That's why we're here. We exist to glorify God and take as many people with us to heaven as we possibly can. That's going to make eternity different. Most of us think it needs to be one spectacular moment, but to me it's a daily grind, day after day after day, that we keep on fighting. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's why Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a daily yielding of our life to him. One final lesson. This is a tough one. Your hour will come. Be ready. Your hour will come. Be ready for it. I shared with this with you a few years ago. We all have to do it. One out of every one people die. Right? You can't beat those stats. You can quote me on that. One out of every one people die. Ecclesiastes 9.12 says, Moreover, no man knows when his or woman knows when his or her hour will come. As a fish, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by the evil times and fall unexpectedly upon them. The seasons of life are unpredictable. The duration of life is unpredictable. None of us know when our hour will come. Tony Evans said, we have it all backwards. We measure things by our birth date when we really should measure things by our death date. And it's true, but the problem is, we don't know when that will be. Solomon's correct. No man knows, no woman knows when their hour will come. But your hour will come. My hour will come. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Get this. Satan will never tell you there's no hell. Satan will never tell you there's no heaven. But Satan will tell you there's no hurry. You have all the time you need. Don't believe him. You and I have no idea how much time we have. Solomon would say it's time to reflect. It's time to think about your life. Think about the different seasons in your life. 
and how you can make each and every day count to the glory of God. I'm going to sing two more songs, and there was a lot that I threw at you this morning. But I want you to just reflect on your life, reflect on the seasons of your life. And remember, no matter where you find yourself right now in life, you're still here. You can still make tomorrow count and the next day count for the glory of God. Father, we thank you so much. God, for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us. God, the way you give us an opportunity in this life to make a difference. And God, no matter what life throws our way, there are going to be good times, there are going to be hard times. But God, this life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Our relationship with you is a marathon. God, may we be here for the long haul. And when we get to the end of our days, no matter how long they are, God, may we be able to look back and say, wow, look at the ripples. Look at the ripples that I have made for the cause of Jesus Christ. God, that's what matters, to glorify you and take as many people with us to heaven as we possibly can. God, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship.